Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, February 24th, 2023. It's been 3,285 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 366 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and the Russian Ministry of Defense is fomenting unrest on and off the battlefield. There is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Second, we maintain that the Russian Minister of Defense, Sergei Shoigu, is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Third, our assessment that it was unlikely Russian forces would launch a larger concentrated offensive in one or more directions on or before February 24th was accurate. Fourth, we maintain there remains an extremely high risk of punitive missile and drone strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure before the end of the day. Fifth, we maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet, and the lack of preparation for a missile strike may be due to precision munition shortages. Sixth, We maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Seventh, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. And finally, Transnistrian and Moldovan officials confirmed our assessment that Ukraine would not invade Transnistria without provocation and reported that both parties are in constant communication with no issues in the border areas. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. There were no reports of significant fighting. Kharkiv Oblast administrative and military governor Ole Sinyubov denied that Russian forces had captured any new territory or settlements during the recent fighting. In a video statement, he said, quote, The enemy, he means Russia, is spreading information that he is allegedly succeeding in capturing our settlements. These are fakes. 
Our defenders did not give the enemy a single settlement or a single meter of our land. The armed forces are reliably holding their positions. End quote. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to the video statement in our full situation report on Patreon. We can't verify the situation in Khyanikivka either way, so we didn't update the map. A Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack hit a city administrative building in Kupyansk. One person was wounded, and two people were missing in the rubble at the time of recording. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Russian mill blogger German Kulikovsky wrote that there were, quote, no active offensive actions, end quote, by Russian forces from Svatova to Kremina. He reported ongoing ammunition shortages for artillery, adding, quote, The Ukrainian use of artillery has not gone anywhere either. This must be honestly admitted, end quote. In the Svatova operational direction, Ukrainian positions in Novoselivsk were shelled, with light fighting continuing east of Stelmachivka. Russian forces attempted to advance on Novoselivsk with a platoon of tanks, but a series of videos showed that they bunched up and retreated as soon as they came under artillery fire. In the Kremina operational area, mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported that Russian troops attempted to advance on Makievka and were unsuccessful. There were no reports of significant fighting from Ploshanka to Chervonopopivka. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ukrainian forces successfully repulsed a Russian attack in the area of Kremina. Kulikovsky reported the biggest action of the day was one Russian tank engaging two Ukrainian tanks, with both sides withdrawing. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukrainian troops were shelled near Dibrova, while Wargonzo reported that Russian forces tried to advance from the village and were unsuccessful. Positional fighting between squads and DRG units continued in the Serebriansky woods south of Kremina. In the Lysychansk operational area, Wargonzo was a little salty in their update, reporting that Russian forces attacked Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, for the, quote, umpteenth time and were unsuccessful. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported a Russian attack on Fedorivka was repulsed. In the Solidar operational area, Wargonzo reported an unsuccessful attack by PMC Wagner on Vasyukivka, while the GSAFU reported Ukrainian troops in Sakuivenseti were hit by an airstrike. We did not adjust the map. Historically, as Russian forces exhaust their combat power, we've seen a pattern of failed attacks resulting in losing previous positions, because no reserves were held at the defensive line. In the Bakhmut operational area, the situation for Ukrainian forces remains extremely challenging. Russian attacks on Orikhovo-Vasilivka and Dubovo-Vasilivka were unsuccessful, while multiple Ukrainian and Russian sources claimed Berkhivka had been captured. PMC Wagner partially denied the claim, declaring the settlement was, quote, almost captured. We adjusted the map based on the PMC Wagner statement and used terrain analysis. 
A Ukrainian source claimed that Yehidne had also been captured, while the GSAFU and PMC Wagner reported continued fighting. We made a small change to the map based on terrain analysis. Quick sidebar here. What is terrain analysis? Well, it's where we analyze the terrain. More specifically, in the summer of 2022, we evaluated our war map and found a lot of places where Ukraine and Russia's forward line of own troops, or FLOT, ran through open fields or other indefensible areas. We knew this was impractical, although admittedly videos of Russian mobics in foxholes in open fields have been shared. So we started adjusting the line of conflict based on analyzing the physical environment and locating the line along the most defensible positions, such as tree lines, ridges, buildings, and water obstacles. The accuracy of our map has improved dramatically after moving to this system. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. The GSAFU reported a Russian attack near Malinivka was repulsed. This was likely a squad or platoon-sized DRG unit attempting to move through the tree lines along the M3 highway and does not represent a larger breakthrough. Heavy fighting continued in the eastern and southern parts of Bakhmut. Rybar's report on Wednesday that Russian forces had occupied the art wine factory was a half-truth. Yevgeny Prigozhin, the head of PMC Wagner Group, visited mercenaries at the sparkling wine factory in eastern Bakhmut, which was captured in late December. The second facility is west of the ponds and is still under Ukrainian control. Southwest of the Mariupol Cemetery, a Ukrainian tank was recorded firing on PMC Wagner positions further south than we had previously assessed. Based on the improved intelligence, we adjusted the line of conflict further south, once again using terrain analysis. In the Kostyantinivka operational direction, Russian troops, supported by PMC Wagner, were held at their current defensive positions south of Ivanivsky. Further south, PMC Wagner continued attempts to establish firm positions west of the Siversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal with a failed advance on Dulyevka. In southwest Donetsk, the 1st Army Corps dramatically increased activity along the entire axis, but it's unlikely that they can maintain a sustained offensive with their available resources. In the Avdiivka operational area, Russian troops tried to advance north from Novobakhmutivka in the direction of Oleksandropil and suffered catastrophic losses. Two graphic videos showed Ukrainian artillery destroying multiple main battle tanks, or MBTs, infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, and up to 20 troops. Some may find the videos disturbing. The 1st Army Corps also attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka through Vesele, the one west of Novoselivka Druha, without success. Russian forces also attempted to cross the H-20 highway toward Kamyanka and were unsuccessful. An armored column supported by light infantry tried to advance on Avdiivka from Opitne, the one north of the Donetsk International Airport, and suffered catastrophic losses despite contrary claims by the Russian MOD. A graphic video showed multiple MBTs and IFVs being destroyed and numerous Russian troops killed. Some may find this video disturbing as well. South of Avdiivka, Russian forces attempted to advance west of Vodyana to flank Pervomaiske and were unsuccessful, 
The 1st Army Corps also made another unsuccessful attack on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued in the city's center, with Wargonzo reporting no change in the situation. After attacking Ukrainian positions, the DNR dropped leaflets telling the troops holding the defensive line to retreat while they still had an opportunity. Intense fighting was reported east of Pobida, with the 1st Army Corps breaking the first line of Ukrainian defenses before the attack fell apart. Russian troops suffered heavy losses and were forced to retreat. In the Wulhidar operational area, and in honor of nine years of trying to capture Novomikhailivka, the DNR tried and failed again. Ukrainian officials reported that on February 22nd, Russian forces attempted another large-scale attack on Wulhidar that ended in catastrophe. Russian forces reportedly lost 14 MBTs, 17 IFVs, and three armored personnel carriers, or APCs, in the Mikhilsk Dachas area. The GSAFU made a rare, specific claim on casualties, reporting 120 Russian soldiers were killed and another 137 wounded. Even if the figures are exaggerated, Russia has lost more than 100 armored vehicles over the last 30 days, just in the Bukhidar operational area. Russian forces continued their unsuccessful attempts to advance on Prechistivka. In Mariupol, a Russian vlogger was recording a live stream claiming there had been no explosions in Mariupol, only to have an explosion happening during their live. There were in fact three explosions in Mariupol during the day, with Russian forces reportedly scrambling to move ammunition and assets from their current storage locations. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia. On the Orihiv axis, Wargonzo reported that Russian troops attempted to advance on Novodanilivka and were unsuccessful. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed a significant heat anomaly in eastern Melitopol, supportive of a recent missile or rocket attack. There were no reports of explosions by Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, or on social media channels. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, nor on the contingent of International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, inspectors. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported four Black Sea fleet vessels on patrol, with not a single missile carrier among them. Some assessment here. Our confidence that there will be a large-scale missile or drone attack on Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure had dropped at the time of recording. The Kremlin has repeatedly aligned attacks to key dates, so it's unthinkable to our team that Russia wouldn't launch a missile attack on February 24th, especially given the favorable weather conditions and all that surveillance drone activity. This is one of those instances where we are thrilled to be wrong, And in our assessment, if there isn't a large-scale attack, it strongly indicates that Russia is suffering an acute shortage of precision munitions. 
If there are no additional missile attacks through February 28th, this will be the third month where the Black Sea Fleet has fired 25 or fewer caliber cruise missiles, indicating that the missile launches are limited to monthly manufacturing capacity. In occupied Crimea, the railroad tracks between Sevastopol and Simferopol were sabotaged at Poshtova. Rail service was shut down, and three trains were stranded due to the damage. We updated the map to indicate an active insurgency in the area. The Sputnik and Vera radio networks were hacked, playing a message from the Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GUR, in Crimea, Moscow, and Krasnodar, declaring that Ukraine will liberate Crimea soon and all traitors will be punished. Russian Deputy Prime Minister Marat Khusnulin claimed that traffic was restored to both Kerch Strait Bridge roadway sections four days ahead of schedule. The announcement did not come from the Russian Ministry of Transportation, and historically, announcements not made by the ministry have turned out to be false. In our assessment, we are skeptical because there was no fanfare about the opening, but in the absence of any other information, we will accept the claim as fact. The railroad bridge remains disabled and isn't expected to be fully repaired until late summer. At the Crimean Federal University, posters were put up across the campus on what to do in the case of shelling and missile attacks. Looks like someone heard the radio broadcast. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 73 fire missions, attacking the city of Kherson seven times. The attack heavily damaged a steam line from the Kherson thermal plant, knocking out heat and hot water to thousands. Biloserka was heavily shelled, causing widespread damage and killing one. There are photos of the aftermath, including one graphic picture that is not suitable for work, and many will find it disturbing. Bereslav and Mikolaivka were also shelled. East of the Dnipro, in Russian-occupied Novakohovka, there were local reports that Russian troops were setting up defensive lines along Karl Marx Street, including machine gun nests. Insurgents reported that Kohovka had been closed off to all civilians. Ukrainian forces continued to fire counter-battery on Russian positions in Olishki. In north and northeast Ukraine, Russian forces shelled the Romadas of Miropilia, Bilopilia, Khotin, Novosloboda, and Krasnopilia in the Sumy Oblast, firing 53 mortars and artillery shells and one drone-delivered IED. In the village of Ryazne, a building was damaged. On the Russian front, a Russian Su-25, identified as Red-37, crashed near Voloiki in the Bilgorod Federal District. The pilot reportedly ejected but died from their injuries. Russian officials claim the crash was an accident but didn't specify if it was due to pilot error or a mechanical issue. Over the past week, in the Russian enclave of Kaliningrad, several attacks have occurred on railroad infrastructure, including signals, signal blocks, and internet uplinks. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Well, we're back to the nuclear threats again, 
and they were doing so well. No, just kidding, they weren't. Obviously, Russia has been casually bringing up nuclear weapons on the daily. Russian State Duma Deputy Andriy Gurulyev proposed to wipe Kyiv off the face of the earth, saying on the Russian One TV network, quote, If we take a target, for example, one city, region, or something else, it needs to be cleaned up so that there is simply nothing left. If we say that, then this is Kyiv, end quote. And they wonder why no one invites them over anymore. After wild speculations and rumors that Ukraine would invade Transnistria, there were no military incidents in the security zone. The Moldovan co-chairman of the Joint Control Commission for Managing the Peacekeeping Operation, Alexander Flencia, said no military provocations were observed. Political representatives from Kisinau and Tiraspol were in direct contact and discussing the current situation. An analysis showed that since November 11, 2022, Russian forces had captured approximately 700 square kilometers of Ukrainian territory. That's an area roughly the same size as El Paso, Texas, for U.S. Americans who prefer to measure in units of Texas. Almost all of the gains have been in the Bakhmut-Solidar region. Since the Kremlin appears obsessed with symbolism, dates, and religion, That works out to 6.66 square kilometers a day for the last 105 days. Could we write that as six and two-thirds? Yeah. Yeah, we could. Are we going to? No. Over the past year, Russia has launched almost 5,000 short-range ballistic missiles and cruise missiles at Ukraine and almost 1,100 kamikaze drones. A KIIS poll found that the Russian missile attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure have significantly impacted civilian morale. In May 2022, 82% of Ukrainians answered that no territorial concessions would be acceptable in a peace deal, while 10% supported concessions and 8% were unsure. Nine months later, Ukrainian resolve has strengthened. 87% now believe that no territorial concessions are acceptable, 9% are open to the idea, and only 5% remain unsure. I really don't think that that was the result the Kremlin hoped to achieve. One of our subscribers asked if we could provide information on Russian and Ukrainian equipment losses, and today is their lucky day because Oryx updated their database. We've included a more comprehensive list in our full situation report on Patreon, but of note, Russia has lost 1,707 main battle tanks, or MBTs, and Ukraine has lost 468. That's a ratio of 3.65 to 1. Russia has lost 2,118 infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, and Ukraine has lost 493 a ratio of 4.3 to 1. Ukraine has lost more mobile radars, 51 to Russia's 23, and naval vessels, 25 to Russia's 12. Ukraine found a mostly intact Russian hypersonic R-37M long-range air-to-air missile. The missile enabled Russia to end Ukraine's growing air dominance in October, tipping the balance of power back to air parity. Ukrainian pilots have figured out countermeasures for the missile, but the hypersonic R-37M threat is hampering air operations. 
The missile entered Russian inventory in 2018 and can be fired by the Su-35 and MiG-31 multi-role fighter airplanes and the Generation 4.5 Su-57. If you're wondering about your tax dollars, Christmas has come early for the United States Central Intelligence Agency and DARPA, thanks to the Ukrainian Air Force. Not to be outdone in the hacking department, the Ukrainian TV channel Inter was hacked and started broadcasting the Soviet Union's national anthem. Polish President Andrzej Duda confirmed the first Leopard 2 tanks were delivered to Ukraine on Friday as part of Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki's visit to Kyiv. Finland announced it was providing Ukraine with three Leopard 2 mine-clearing tanks, among other military equipment, as part of its 13th aid package to Kyiv. Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez announced during his visit to Kyiv that another four Leopard 2 tanks would be sent to Ukraine, increasing the total to 10. Australia is sending a $33 million aid package, which includes a significant number of drones. Speaking of drones, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. President Putin told a group of veterans that his February 21st speech was too long, saying, quote, It's very difficult to listen to it all, almost two hours. I would have found it difficult to listen to it myself, probably, if I had to listen. It's easier to talk than to listen. End quote. Was Putin just accidentally self-aware? Russian collaborators who accepted jobs as police officers in Mariupol may be questioning their life choices. A light infantry company was created using 150 mobilized officers, with 14 already receiving a Code 200 retirement plan. To be clear, that means they've died. The Russian Ministry of Defense has moved forward with creating another private military company, indicating that the relationship with Wagner Group and its owner, Yevgeny Prigozhin, is anywhere but close to being repaired. The Russian FSB was authorized to create its own private army, called Hawk. Video taken at the Novosibirsk airport showed over a hundred zinc dachas, sorry, I mean coffins, with the remains of Wagner mercenaries awaiting shipment back to their homes. Airport officials denied the video was recorded at the airport, not realizing that there is this thing called the Internet, pictures, and people who are very good at geolocation confirmation. A video was shared on Russian social media channels of four Mobics getting scolded by their commander for drinking while on duty. After getting drunk, apparently in a frontline area, they started to argue, with one of the soldiers attacking the other three with an axe. Poorly, apparently, because despite receiving blows from the blunt side of the axe head, the three disarmed their comrade and beat him. The commander told the attacker he would be put on report while admonishing the other three for getting drunk. It appears that all four were sent back to the front. Satellite images showed that the Russian VKS had moved its strategic bombers from the Engels-2 airfield to Murmansk, further away from Ukraine. We know Russia claims the S-400 air defense system is the best in the world, but apparently they want to be extra cautious after the successful drone attack in October 2022. 
all is going to plan. In geopolitical news, China revealed its 12-point peace plan, which almost certainly didn't include the items Russian social media expected. The plan calls for number one, don't do war crimes. No, sorry, sorry, that was my list. Number one, respect for the sovereignty of all countries, the observance of international law, and the UN Charter. So basically, the same thing. Number two, abandoning Cold War mentality and upholding the principle that quote the security of one country should not be provided at the expense of others. End quote. Number three. The immediate cessation of hostilities, avoidance of escalation, and support for the movement of Russia and Ukraine toward dialogue. Number four, the resumption of peace talks as the quote, only viable solution end quote, to the conflict, with China stating it is ready to play a quote, constructive role. Number five, resolution of the humanitarian crisis, creation of humanitarian corridors for civilians. Increase in humanitarian assistance and support for the UN as a coordinator of activities. Number six, protection of civilians and prisoners of war, including the creation of quote favorable conditions for exchanges. Number seven, ensuring the safety of nuclear power plants. Number eight, countering the threat of the use of nuclear, chemical, or biological weapons. Number nine. Increasing grain exports within the framework of the Black Sea Grain Initiative. Number ten, an end to unilateral sanctions. Number eleven, supporting the global stability of production and supply chains. And number twelve, promoting post-conflict reconstruction. The document also stated that quote using nuclear weapons end quote is unacceptable. Russia claimed it wanted peace on February 21st, and the UN voted on a resolution calling for the end of hostilities in Ukraine, including the withdrawal of Russian troops. It passed with 141 in favor, 32 abstentions, and seven opposed. The countries voting against the resolution included Belarus, Syria, North Korea, Eritrea, Mali, Nicaragua, and Russia. Latvian MP Richard Kols scolded the Russian delegation at the winter session of the OSCE Parliamentary Assembly. During a speech, Kols addressed the audience, condemning the delegation of Russia, calling them quote, "war criminals," and condemning the OSCE for allowing their participation, saying quote, "It's a disgrace that this delegation is here." Particularly, the delegation that consists of sanctioned individuals who voted to annex independent countries' territories. End quote. Coles ended his speech by referencing a well-known incident at Snake Island early in the war, telling the Russian delegation to quote, "Go f yourself." End quote. In response, the representative of the Russian delegation said they were there quote, legally, called the Ukrainian flag that numerous delegates brought with them a rag. And told those who disagreed they could leave the hall and take their Ukrainian flags with them. Half the delegates walked out. Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez wrote on Twitter after touring Bucha and Irpin, quote, "Bucha and Irpin show the wounds and scars of Putin's barbarism. Russia will not win this war. 
all of Spain is with Ukraine. End quote. In the Netherlands, protesters set up a barrel organ to play the Ukrainian national anthem on repeat outside the Russian embassy in The Hague. They also placed a large yellow and blue banner across the street. In economic news, the ruble's exchange rate continues to slide, hitting 76 for one U.S. dollar. It's the worst exchange rate for the Russian currency since April 22, 2022. West Texas Intermediate crude increased to $76 a barrel, while Brent rose to $83. Russian Ural's crude continued to fall with an official price of $52 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market dropped to $2.38 a gallon, or $0.63 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures ticked upward, with March and April contracts hitting 53 euros per megawatt hour. Chicago SRW wheat futures dropped to $7.41 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.